John 19 is where we are uh, for the primary scripture this evening. John chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. We ended last week, the end of 18, talking about the figure of Barabbas, that he was something like uh, a William Wallace kind of figure to the Jews, that he would have been someone as an insurrectionist who was uh, fighting for throwing off the shackles of the oppression of Rome. But Pilate comes from what is truth, just thinking like, well, I'm going to release this guy. And instead, he releases Barabbas and then takes Jesus in and flogs him. Now, I, I, I think almost everyone here knows I'm an attorney. We have a legal system in the United States. That's our legal system is a flawed legal system. It is still way better than most of the legal systems in the world. If you are looking for justice, this is really a much better place than almost anywhere that you can go. It's also not a place where you'll find justice. Because true justice is going to be found in eternity before God, before the throne of His judgment. Thankfully, Incredibly, we will receive mercy and grace that we do not deserve. Jesus took our punishment upon himself. But 
the idea here as a Christian and as a lawyer and as a person who grew up in the cultural milieu that I grew up in, it, it, it jumps off the page and is, is frustrating and, and angers me to see what is truth. And then it's like, okay, what's Pilate going to do here? Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Wait, what? You, got, you didn't have a finding of guilt. There wasn't even a, an allegation of the kind of crime that you could flog someone for. He didn't respond in an inappropriate manner to your authority. He didn't break a rule. He didn't break a law. There was no legal authority or legal reason that Pilate could flog Jesus. Guys, I think something that as I prepared to preach was incredibly clear to me is how much Scripture teaches about the corruption of human society, the corruption of human justice systems, and that our reliance upon them is completely, um, not really naive, more dangerous than naive. It is outside of what God has clearly described we should be doing as Christians. Our faith cannot be in the institutions of man. Again, American courts are a whole lot better than Venezuelan courts. I don't know if you guys saw the story. I asked Danielle. She's really good at guessing round numbers. I said, there's just a new bribe that they've come out with that the president of Mexico's son took, the former president. How much money do you think it was? You guys have any guesses? $100 million. $100 million. That is a pretty big bribe. And God absolutely talks in Old and New Testament about justice and that we should work to root out injustice. We should stand against injustice. We should be upset by injustice. We also shouldn't expect justice here and now. We shouldn't expect justice from this system as good as it is. We shouldn't think, well, we're in America, so everything will work out great as long as you, you know, do the right thing. I trust the system. Have you guys heard that before? I trust the system. It's often the statement that someone makes when they're falsely accused of a crime. I trust the system. Guys, experience, history, theology, it all suggests very strongly that trusting the system is unwise. We can trust God. We cannot trust the system. There is corruption everywhere. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. The fact that my background makes me feel like, wait, wait, how? No, no, no. There's been a miscarriage of justice here at the beginning of chapter 19 shows that I'm not thinking correctly. There absolutely is a miscarriage of justice, but it shouldn't be surprising. It should be expected. Jesus expected it. Not just prophetically, Jesus expected it from the Romans. The Jews live under terror and oppression from the Romans who are occupying their territory by right of conquest. They are not gentle. They are not trying to build up civic engagement. They are brutally oppressing, through fear, the Jews. So Pilate has him flogged for no reason at all. 
which was enough of a reason for the Romans when they're dealing with the Jews. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Now, verse 2, a purple robe, has significance. Purple is the color of royalty. Why? Where did that come from? Well, it came from the fact that in that time period, purple dye was the most expensive dye that you could find. It came from a small mollusk from one particular area. You're tired if you were wanting to look that up later. And it took incredible amounts of gathering these mollusks to make a tiny amount of purple dye. So it was the most expensive dye, it was the most expensive kind of clothing, and it was reserved for ostentatious displays of power, of wealth. At different times in, in history, even subsequent to the Roman Empire, there were rules made that only the kings, only the leaders in the Byzantine Empire, only the emperors and rulers or the elite level people can wear purple. Nobody else can, it's illegal. But this was an act of humiliation. It was an act to tell the Jews, this is your king and this is what we do to your king. Again, we've talked about the political background here. This wasn't the first insurrection that they dealt with. This wasn't the first person who claimed to be the Messiah. This wasn't the first time that people sought to overthrow the ruling leaders of Rome. And so, they sought to make an example of Jesus as the king of the Jews. But, Pilate, as postmodern as he is, what is truth? What is truth? That doesn't really matter here. I'm the decision maker. What I say goes. Pilate did just feel that there was something that he needed to convey. See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. They brought out Jesus bleeding from the humiliation that they've done now. And, and Pilate says to them, Behold the man. The evil of the hearts of these people is that they look at God's own son and cry out for his death. When Pilate says to them, take him to yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him, he knew and they knew that they're not allowed to crucify Jesus, but he hadn't committed the kinds of crimes against the state that would allow him to be crucified. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. The power that Jesus turns upside down, the relationship of power, when Jesus says his name with authority, people fall down on the ground. And Jesus is restrained through a period of being beaten, of being scourged, of being attacked. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Do not fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who is in control of your immortal soul. 
Pilate heard the statement and was afraid, he went and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate says to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. We're going to look at the rest of this passage, but... It is remarkable to me, and as I prepared for the sermon, it was like, oh, this is super clear. There's not something I've ever preached on before or preached before. Just how sinful it is for us as Christians to try to get justice here from the system. To believe in the system, to push for the system, to say this is our system, to say that the saviors are democratically elected, because we're in a democracy. No, actually, don't you know civics? We're not. Okay. We're in a republic. And our republic is a great republic. Guys, I'm not saying it's not. You can go from one end extreme of idolatry and worship of our country that's evil all the way to the other where you see nothing good in it. The truth is neither of those extremes. America is a blessed nation that has roots in a lot of historical Christian truths. And it's also a nation that does a lot of sinful, awful, and terrible things. This is the weekend that the March to Life happens and has happened for decades now, protesting the murder that our states allow of unborn children. Romans chapter 1 that describes a civilization that is in decay, that is under the wrath and judgment of God, looks a lot like America in this year. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is, says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Matthew 18, 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And then 1 Corinthians 5, 12, what business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? We are. We are to judge those inside. We, the church, are to judge those inside the church. And the system that we're supposed to put our hope in, the ultimate judgment, the only right judgment that will always be right, is that of God that comes after we die, is appointed to man once to die and then to face judgment. We will all be judged. But in the interim, what system are we supposed to be buying into and believing in and seeking redress, righting of wrongs, Within. It's the church. And that is so radical because it doesn't happen very much. 
I was talking to my uncle about this in New Canaan, uh, Connecticut, and he said, I can't, I, I'm too hoarse to do his great voice. He has a much better voice than I do. He's an open-air preacher sometimes on college campuses. Well, Clayton, we had a case recently that's just along those lines you were speaking of. I said, what? What, what, what are you talking about? Well, there was someone in our church who was in a Bible study, and they didn't see the person behind them in the driveway, and they really smacked into their car, and they told them, I'll pay for it, I'll take care of it, and they never did, and the person brought it before us as elders, and we met with them, and we told them, you need to pay this bill, and, and they did before it became a matter of church discipline. Whoa! That's awesome! That's really cool. That's what's supposed to happen. In New Canaan, Connecticut, you know what was more likely to happen? The lawyer who's on retainer for that person, because they're in court all the time anyway for different things, is going to get a little bit more money. I mean, probably the main reason he wasn't called at first is because he's too expensive and the damage to the car wasn't worth paying him all the money for his time. We are supposed to be looking outside of this present age, this political system. Our Savior will never be the president. Bill Lee was just inaugurated. He loves Jesus. He's been in this building, this very building. And he's a great guy. He's a brother in Christ. And I'm praying for him, and I wish him all the success in the world. All the success in the world will not mean that every right is wrong in the state of Tennessee. The other states may be going to hell, but Tennessee is heavenward. That's not, not going to happen. Not through politics. It makes a difference. I'm glad he's there. It's a lot better to have somebody who loves Jesus than somebody who doesn't. But they're not going to be able to fix things in the ultimate sense. That's not where we're going to find salvation, and it's not even where we're supposed to be settling our disputes. My parents believed this to an extent that deeply frustrated me as a young person who didn't even know I was going to be a lawyer. There were multiple experiences where a lawsuit seemed inevitable, even just, and my parents said, well, we're not doing that. We're not suing. I understood when, like, the, the, this guy owns this company that screwed up my brother's car, and because of their, their screw-up, my brother wrecked his car, but my dad met with the guy, and the guy said he was a Christian, so my dad said, well, I'm, I'm not suing him. I get that. I'm still a little unclear. It happened when I was, like, nine, why my dad thought that Home Depot qualified as a Christian entity, or... <laughs> I don't know why. Why did we not sue Home Depot? I don't know. Um, but... Over and over, I saw in my parents' lives that this is legal liability. This is something wrong that happened to them. And my dad was like, yeah, we're not suing. We don't sue. That's not the way we're going to do this. The lady from Home Depot, who was the insurance adjuster, after their worker with liability, because it was under his job for Home Depot, uh, asked my mom for help unloading things and threw a bag of cement off the back of a truck that she caught and tore a bunch of ligaments in her back. That lady started crying and responded to the gospel in their living room of their home when they explained why they weren't suing and this wasn't the route that they were going to go. And she said, I've never heard of anyone doing this before. Her job was to just go... Once they realize factually, like, we need to get a check before we go to before a jury who might say, big corporation, lots of money, hurt 
person who looks nice on the stand. Let's get them to avoid that situation. We better write them a check. She cried because she had never seen a response like the response of my parents. Well, guys, that's what all of us are called to do. All of us are called to operate in a way that recognizes that we have been given so much by the example, the perfect example of Jesus who took the punishment that we deserve, who died and paid for our sins. Why not rather suffer wrong? Guys, the, everything about my legal training, about my personality, about pretty much everything about my Scottish and Norwegian ancestry, my Enneagram, my Myers-Briggs, it gets mad at that verse. Why not rather suffer wrong? Because then they're going to do it again to somebody else. You're messing up. It's time to smack them back. they got to know better. You're preventing further wrong, you've got to hammer them. That's not the approach Jesus took. It's not what he called us to. It's not what he showed us. It's not how we win, because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and rulers of this dark age. Our Savior will never be a political Savior, and our solutions for justice will never come from our courts. Uh, are you a constitutional lawyer? Or are you saying that the Supreme Court doesn't matter? Uh, I am a constitutional lawyer, and the Supreme Court matters a lot. It matters a lot. And I hope it gets better. And it really does matter. But it's not going to ever give us perfect justice on earth, ever. It won't happen. Because this system is not the system that we're even called to look to for that justice. Christians are supposed to find it within the churches. The church leadership is supposed to provide that kind of wisdom to settle disputes. What does it look like then to sell out entirely to the broken political system? It's really sad. It's a little bit funny to me. I think I'm one of the only people who reads so many leftists and so many right-wing people that I see both of them writing these articles. When Obama was in power, some right-wing people said, don't you dare look to the president for your salvation. And don't get too close to the leadership because that's selling out. As soon as Obama was out of power, the left-wing people who were in the White House with Obama wrote about Trump and said, how dare you right-wing Christians sell out? Don't look too close to power. Don't be... Okay? I said amen both times. Because <laughs> they both were right. And we shouldn't look to a president for our salvation. But it's unbelievable the hypocrisy because everybody wants to be close to power. Everybody wants their guy. They're really happy to rail against it when it's not their guy. But whichever side, people say, if only we could fix this. Guys, what matters more right now isn't elections. What matters more right now is how you're loving your neighbor. What matters more right now is how you're seeking justice through your relationships. What matters more right now is demonstrating the love of Jesus, who recognized that authority comes from God ultimately because of his sovereign power over all. And that trusting in the system will always let us down. 
From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. The Jews had a long tradition of oppression, a long tradition of being threatened if they didn't bow down, if they didn't bow the knee. And the faithful Jews throughout the Old Testament faced death when they said, we have no king but God. He is our only ruler. He is the only one who can rule over us. They sold out and sought a king when God said, don't do it. And they got Saul, and that was screwed up. And they got David, and that was screwed up. They got Solomon, and that was screwed up. They had a kingdom that didn't work out the way it was supposed to because they weren't supposed to be under a king. They were supposed to be under the leadership of God. And now, their religious leaders claimed that the authority that they recognized was a vile, evil, foreign power. But they were happy to submit to him. They were happy to be under him. They were happy to be in that system because it let them preserve a shred of their own power. Oh, I don't see this as prophetic where lots of you are like, I guess I better stop cozying up to the president. I don't think that's happening here. But guys, all of us face the temptation of seeking to be a part of a system and seeking to find our way through the halls of power to be close to power. And all of us should be able to say, if we're following Jesus, we have no king but Jesus. Aren't you a proud American? You know, sometimes, how's America doing? What are we talking about? In what area? I'm always thankful, grateful to be a Christian. And that kingdom will never end. That is the place where we know we can find justice. That is where we know there will be peace. That is where we know there will be joy. With the whipsaw of political parties, the church has the best time in its history of my lifetime in America of looking at two divided groups and saying, you're wrong and you're wrong. Neither of you are going to provide salvation to America. But Jesus Christ can. Jesus Christ does. This system of this world will never satisfy us. It's not, well, if we, listen, the Supreme Court, if they just get better. Nope, not going to change it in, in the way that is ultimately bringing about salvation. Can't find it there. Well, if we had a right president, I mean, Clayton, I know you're saying that this one's not great, and I agree with you, and maybe you don't like this other one, but, but like, what if an evangelical, guys, I really, I really do, I'll say this, he's my friend, I really like it, Bill Lee's awesome, what if Bill Lee was our president? Man, I think that would be fantastic. So that would set everything right? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. He is a great man who loves Jesus, and he's smart. He's also like, I don't know, I don't want to say he's like Saul, because I don't, but he's like Saul in the sense that he's tall and good looking, and you feel like, I can trust that guy, look at him. 
<laughs> Look at him. He can win a fist fight. He's probably a good guy. Okay? He is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And our orientation needs to always be pointed toward that. We need to always be shifted towards that. We should not be known as the people who worship one political party or the other. We should not be known as the people who worship a country. We should be known as the people who can say, I encountered the idolatry of America over and over and over again. We're not talking about America's sins. There are people who refuse to look at any of the things that we do wrong. Well, how dare you? Don't you know it's worse in Cuba? It is worse in Cuba. And it should be better here. And it's not wrong to talk about that. We have no king but Caesar. None of us should ever say we have no leadership that matters except the leadership of our state and local government. Because the leadership of your church matters a lot more than that if you're a Christian. And what should matter in your life is loving in the way Jesus did. What should matter in the systems of justice that you look to is the way that you care for others. The way that you forgive others. That is impossible to do for people who aren't Christians. I do marriage counseling for people who aren't Christians and I'm terrible at it. And I tell them that. I can't help you if you don't know Jesus. And in terms of justice and in terms of systems, if you don't know the one who wore a crown of thorns for us, if you don't know the one who willingly took the punishment that we deserved upon him, then you can't offer the forgiveness. That's the only way for you to see freedom and justice in this life. Let's pray. God, we want to be followers of yours. We have no king but Jesus. Help us to remember that at all times. Help us to keep that at the front of our thoughts. Help us to walk in your ways. God, we desire to please you with our lives. We want to be obedient. We don't want to be people who are looking for everything to get fixed here and now beyond the ways in which we know that you're calling us to something different and something better. A kingdom that is not of this world. We want to be your soldiers. We want to be your ambassadors. Loving our enemies. Turning the other cheek. Demonstrating patience and joy and forgiveness and love. May we shine at doing that within our churches. And may we shine at doing that outside our churches. For those within the church, God, we pray that we will be careful to bring things before leadership and to not let anything fester in disputes. But for the, those who don't know you, those outside the church, we pray for compassion, that our hearts will be filled with love, that our expectations won't be dashed by people who act sinfully towards us, 
because we know that apart from you, they can't be righteous in any way. Help us to overflow with love. Thank you that we know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until that day, help us to be faithful ambassadors of all the truth you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.